Hello friends, it's me Josh, and for this week's Select, I chose our September 2014 episode, How Animal Domestication Works. First, I want to congratulate you on being curious enough that you pressed play on what seems like it might be a very boring topic, but your adventurousness will be rewarded indeed, because this is one of those Stuff You Should Know episodes that sounds dull, but turns out to be super interesting. I hope you enjoy it, and spend the rest of your day patting yourself on the back. Go ahead, you deserve it. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant and our buddy Noel, who's producing us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And that's Stuff You Should Know. The end. How's it going? Fine. Why are you asking? <laughs> it's just a friendly icebreaker. Oh, I see. Yeah. As if we didn't just record another show. We did. Mm-hmm. It was on uh, uh, police interrogation. That's right. So, uh, Chuck. Yes. You've heard of Jared Diamond before, right? No. Yes, it, you it have. It rang familiar. He Do wrote I know Guns, him? Germs, and Steel. Oh, okay. Yeah. He, uh, he um, wrote Collapse. He's known for that those two books. I don't think I know that one. I think it came after Guns, Germs, and Steel. Um, but he wrote one of my favorite journal articles of all time. It's called The Worst Mistake in the History of the Human Race about agriculture, about uh, transitioning to agriculture. I was going to guess on what that might be. Oh, sorry. That's right. What do you, what do you guess that it's about? <laughs> I don't know. Agriculture. Well, the thing is, is it, it may be the worst mistake in the history of the human race. I've talked about it a million times. Yeah. Um, the article, that is. Um, but he also wrote this really interesting article called Evolution, Consequences, and Future of Plant and Animal Domestication, which sounds extremely boring. Yeah. And it's in Nature, the journal Nature. I bet it's not boring, though. It isn't boring. Yeah. It's really, really interesting because in it, he talks about animal domestication, and he says that it came about as a result of, typically, and about the same time as agriculture, the Neolithic Revolution, yeah. where we went from hunter-gatherers to a- agriculturists, yeah. right, to farmers. And everything changed. Like, we grew shorter in stature, mm-hmm. our brains grew smaller, um, our jaws grew shorter. Yeah. Um, we, we got just weird in a bunch of different ways. Yeah. Right? Um, And it was as a result of agriculture. And if you look at what happens when we domesticate animals, when Mm -hmm. we take them from the wild and we plant them next to us on a farm, the same thing happens. So his point is, what he's arguing is that not only did humans domesticate animals, humans in turn have become domesticated themselves through agriculture. Yeah. There's probably nothing that's had a greater impact, no single transition or, or change or concept that's had a greater impact on Homo sapiens than the Neolithic Revolution or the transition to agriculture. Boom. And a big part of that was the domestication of animals. Yeah, they kind of went hand in hand. In a hoof in hand, <laughs> which to me is hilarious because consider this. I, I think this is the funniest thing I've ever thought of in my life. Oh, wow. Imagine being an alien, come down to earth. All right. And uh, you're just walking along, taking everything in, Mm -hmm. and you see a human riding a horse. And us, it's a human riding a horse. It makes utter and complete sense. 
But if you're an alien, you see an animal riding another animal. Yeah. And that would have to be the funniest thing you've ever seen, ever. If you're a Martian. Yeah. (laughs) An animal riding another animal. Yeah. You know, like uh, those little cowboy monkeys that ride dogs and stuff like that. It's hilarious in that same thing. It's the exact same thing. Or when you watch Planet of the Apes, uh, an ape riding a horse. That's not funny. That's unsettling. That's terrifying. Yeah. That is the funniest thing ever you've ever said. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, so, man, that was a good setup. Thanks, man. It's been a while since we've gotten an old Josh story. <laughs> I get really excited about anthropology. Uh, well, we are covering um, domestication, and uh, I guess we should say off the bat that not everyone is on board. Um, PETA, I had to look this up because I wasn't sure what their actual stance was. <laughs> Regarding animal domestication, you had to look that up? No, about pets, sure. I wondered. Um, officially, they are against pet keeping. Sure. But they um, they know it's too late. They hate pets. <laughs> but they know it's too late. They're like, we, we know we're not, we're, what they are not for is for setting these animals free. Here's why. The original co-founder, I think, um, is Ingrid uh, Newkirk, mm-hmm. is an animal abolitionist, but... PETA's like, it's way too far gone. We don't want you to set these animals free, so we're going to fight our fight on spaying and neutering and reducing that population as much as possible. Right. Which, but they are still officially against pets. Right. But their position actually does make sense. It's extremely realistic because there is a strict definition of a domesticated animal. Yeah. And a <clears throat> domesticated animal is a is a species that was formerly wild that has been taken in by humans and whose characteristics have been so alt- so radically altered by humans that they can no longer feed themselves typically. Yeah, it's it's when we actually change their genetic makeup. Yes, and part of that change, part of the characteristic change is that the food supply is controlled by humans. So if you put say an average dog out, uh, my dog Buckley would be dead inside three days. Yeah, and somebody would say, well, they would forage through garbage. Humanity, if you took a dog out of any kind of human area yeah. and put it in the area, it may return to a primal state, in which case that dog is reverted to a feral state. Mm-hmm. Now, a feral animal is one that was formerly domesticated and then went back to the wild. Yeah. If you take a single wolf and you teach it, to jump up and grab beef jerky out of your hands. Yeah. What you have there Good is a, wolfie. That's a tame wolf. Yeah. Now, a tame wolf could still go fend for itself. It's a, it's a tame individual. A domesticated animal is one that's born f- comfortable associating with humans. Yeah, and there's exceptions, of course. Uh, cats, uh, the domestic house cat being one, you could drop a, a cat out in the middle of the woods. Yeah. And they would survive. They would uh, hunt mice and eat mice and, or whatever, squirrels. Um, so the, the, and the domestic cat is its own species. Yeah. But that raises some questions under Jared Diamond's definition, the stricter definition of right. a domestic animal. If, if a cat can just go, like, take care of itself, is it technically feral or is it ever really domesticated? Yeah, or is it just an agreement, hey, I'll catch the mice in your house and I like that uh, wet food. Every day at 5 p.m. So I'll just hang out here. Exactly. And I like to sleep under your chin. Like the cat, the cat has found an agreeable arrangement that it could take or leave at any time. Yeah, mutually beneficial. And as we'll see, that's a consistent 
thing in the domestication of animals is that uh, some people believe that it's good for the animal, it's good for the human, yeah. and we have learned to uh, scratch each other's backs in many different ways. Literally, even in some cases. So a little uh, bit of a good background for this one might be to listen to our show on natural selection. Yes. Because, um, well, it covers natural selection. But there's another kind of selection called artificial selection mm-hmm. when it comes to domesticating animals, and that is not the same thing. That is when humans are choosing these desirable traits and uh, making it so through breeding um, like the the original horses, uh, the first domesticated horses were, they sm- smoked cigars. <laughs> they did. We broke them of that habit. Uh, no, they were small, like ponies. There were little ones, uh, little wild horses in Mongolia. I think they call them the uh, Zawalskis. <laughs> They're not a family in Pittsburgh. <laughs> no, it was a Russian army officer that they're named after. But when you start your name with three consonants, I never know which one is silent. Oh, okay. So how do you spell it? P-R-Z. Oh, I was not going to guess that spelling. E-W-Alski. So I'm just going to say Zawalski's horse. But um, people were at one point were like, man, I'd love to ride that thing, but he's too small. So find the biggest one that's a male and find the biggest one that's a female. Make them go have sex. Right. And maybe they'll have a bigger one, a bigger uh, son, and then make that one mate with someone big. Right. And eventually these things are going to be big enough to where we can ride them. And then by proxy, throw away the ones that don't fit the criteria that we want. Or use them for something else. Sure. Like food. <laughs> but that's what we did with dogs, too. Like, uh, you got a bunch of different ones, right? Say big, small, soft, furry, um, fast, cuddly. And we, we said, well, we like this one for this, and we like that one for that. And so artificial selection was still going on. We were just spreading it out all over the yeah. place. With, like, say, a horse or something, we wanted bigger and stronger because we wanted to ride them. Uh, and we also wanted to apparently drink their milk which I did not know, but it makes sense that horses produce milk because they're mammals, but apparently our ancestors used to drink horse milk. You never had horse milk? (laughs) No. (laughs) And I want to know if there's anyone out there listening who's tasted horse milk, please describe it. Dude, someone out there is drinking horse milk right now while they're listening to this show. One of our Mongolian listeners. Straight from the teat. I think they're like they use the horse for all sorts of stuff. The Mongolians, they're also like excellent riders. Yeah, I think that that uh, Zawalski's horse is, <laughs> is in Mongolia again. Yeah, after being nearly extinct. I might be wrong about that. So, um, in addition to selecting the big horse, we also did some cool stuff with sheep. We um, <laughs> we selected out there. Uh, they they had um, longer, coarser hair uh-huh. that we didn't want. That's the kemp. kemp. Yeah. We wanted the softer stuff that was inside, a.k.a. the wool, so we bred sheep that had more wool than Kemp until yeah. basically you can't find Kemp in sheep any longer. And they were one of the first uh, domesticated animals, right, the sheep? Yep, they were. Um, chickens uh, don't normally produce eggs as frequently as, as they do uh, once they've been domesticated. Yeah, they didn't use And to. like a, a Rhode Island Red will produce five to seven a week. That's a lot of eggs. Yeah, apparently the original chicken, too. I didn't look this up, but I remember a friend of mine that was a vegetarian. I witnessed an argument between a vegetarian and a meat eater, which is always fun because I don't get involved in that stuff. Um, and I think one of them was like, well, look at the chickens. You know, what else are they going to do? You know, what, what are they good for? And he was like, dude, the original chicken wasn't anything like this chicken. Yeah. The original wild chicken was, like, taller and leaner and ran super fast. and Road runner. I guess, yeah, I guess uh, solve crimes and... Uh, so, 
and did all sorts of chickeny things that weren't just being slaughtered for food. And apparently the first chickens were domesticated, they think, for um, cockfighting. Yeah, for entertainment? Yeah. Crazy. We have a shameful, shameful history, don't we? As people, humans? <laughs> yeah. So, Diamond, um, you, you would think if we can domesticate animals, why don't we just domesticate them all and use them for purposes? Uh, and Diamond writes that only about 14 animal species out of 148 canids have been uh, domesticated, and that's because we can't de- domesticate every animal. There's certain things, <clears throat> there's certain criteria that even opens up the possibility. Yeah, there's like a six-point checklist, basically, and, and it's not progressive if any one of these these characteristics or traits oh, yeah. isn't met, yeah. it pretty much just throws off the whole deal. So you got to have all six. All right. Those six are, uh, the first one is the, the right diet. If you're yeah. uh, a picky animal, like um, <laughs> what's what's the one that only eats uh, bamboo? The bamboo toad? Those dumb, uh, dumb koalas. <laughs> koalas. <laughs> no, they eat uh, eucalyptus. Yeah, yeah. Man, I'm glad you remember that. Yeah, you're not going to be able to domesticate a koala because what you want is something that you can feed in mass quantities on cheap, accessible food. Oh, well, actually, bamboo would be the the way to go. It's eucalyptus. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how eucalyptus <laughs> goes. If they ate bamboo, they'd probably be domesticated in that. Well, uh, no, by cheap, accessible <clears throat> food, I think they mean like millions of pounds of feed that you can put in a trough. Dude, bamboo is like one of the fastest growing plants on earth. No, I realize that. I've got it in Are we backyard. still talking about eucalyptus? But it's eucalyptus. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But this bamboo thing, have you heard about bamboo? <laughs> you know, I have a company that grows it. Oh, Josh's Bamboo Floors? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the number two thing is a fast growth rate. So um, yeah. they got to, you know, be able to grow quick and uh, so you can use them. Yeah, so like... If we'd figured out how to use gorillas to build skyscrapers, that'd be awesome. Yeah. But it would take forever to build a skyscraper because gorillas only reproduce fairly infrequently. Okay. So we need something that can build a skyscraper fast. And that's why that didn't work. Right. When they tried it. (laughs) Yeah. But that one gorilla wearing that hard hat got a lot of laughs. Uh, Friendly disposition. um, That's pretty clear. If if you're a, a Kodiak bear... You're not going to be domesticated. They tried that. They tried grizzlies at one point. That's a failed domestication. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Zebras very famously can't be domesticated. Yeah, because I imagine people would be like, man, I want to ride that thing. It's cool looking. Yeah, and it'll bite you to death. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Apparently, in that Jared Diamond article, he says that zookeepers, zebras account for more injuries to zookeepers than any other animal at the zoo. Man. Yeah. That is one... Pissed off, stripy horse. Yeah. <laughs> They're not horses at all, though, are they? They're related for sure. Well, yeah. But the, um, so the zebras one, and then koalas too, apparently, are like ferocious little animals. Well, they're tired of eating bamboo. E- eucalyptus. <laughs> right. Um, one, two, three, four. Easy breeding. Yeah. That's pretty obvious. You got to be able to pump out little baby puppies quickly. Yes, because some easily. some animals like just shut down when yeah. you when they're captive. Like they don't breed. Like that pandas no have a lot of trouble breeding in captivity. Yeah. Cheetahs too. Is that why it's always such a big deal when they're born? Uh, yeah, at the zoo, or when like twins are born, like at the Atlanta Zoo. Oh yeah, man, I don't know about zoos. Well, we did a podcast on that. 
I think that's the conclusion we came to, huh? I think that was the title of it. Man, I don't know about zoos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What does it call our zoos good or bad for animals? Yeah. That was a good episode. Yeah. That's one of those long lost overlooked ones that are so good. That's polarizing too, man. I did some Facebook posting about uh, uh, killer whales in captivity mm. and people really feel passionately about... Oh, the, like blackfish? About supporting SeaWorld or not supporting SeaWorld um, and that blackfish is a bunch of bunk. And apparently Blackfish is, was highly uh, manipulated, mm. the, the documentary was. But at the end of all of that, I was like, I don't care. I just don't think they should be kept in captivity, Yeah, this one particular thing. Um, but that was just me. Uh, respect of a social hierarchy, that's a big one. Big. Because if you, don't, if you can't be the alpha dog and the leader of the pack, then you're going to have a very hard time domesticating that animal. Yeah, but... With a cat being an exception. An animal um, that does follow a social hierarchy is is basically prearranged to be domesticated. Yeah. Because you just take that alpha male, you punch him in the face a couple of times (laughs) in front of everybody, make him cry, and then now you're the alpha male. And you say, start laying eggs. (laughs) And they listen to you. And then they're domesticated, at least in that respect. After you've punched the chicken? Yeah. But that's a that's a big one. Is is with that social hierarchy, it sets them up. They're predisposed to yeah. our method of domestication, which is listening to humans. And like sheep, it's mind blowing because sheep, uh, they're a herd animal that follows an alpha leader, right? Yeah. And so we have gotten so we're just show offs when it comes to animal domestication. We're so good that we've taken one of our domesticated animals, the dog, mm-hmm. and put the dog in, <laughs> in charge of the sheep. as the alpha male of the sheep. <laughs> yeah. That's how sheep are herded. That's, that's just showing off. The aliens, that's another good alien laugh. What, the, the double domestication yeah, thing? Yeah, the dog leading the sheep. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, too, if you've ever had a dog that's a, uh, a herding, has the herding instinct, mm. when you see that play out in your own home. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we used to see it all the time with Lucy. She would totally hurt us. And when we let her out in the backyard, she would walk the perimeter of the fence, you know, instead of running through the middle of it. Yeah. Uh, very interesting stuff. To yeah. See that original, those original tendencies. Uh, and then the last one is they won't panic. Um, if you have an animal that freaks out uh, behind a fence. Like deer? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, the, you're going to have a real hard time there. But like we said, there are exceptions because wolves were fierce and cats uh, don't follow a pack leader. Um, and we're going to get to dogs and cats a little later. Stuff you should know. Stuff you should know. So if you listen to our show on cave art, you know that, and on Egyptology, you know that animals... What else? Mummification? Yeah, probably so. You know that animals have uh, been tied to humans for a long time and revered by humans for a long time, as evidenced by the fact that they buried them, and they mummified them, and they painted them on their walls. Painted pictures of us riding them? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, The the they think that the... Um, the first animal to be domesticated by far was the dog. Yeah. How it, awesome is that? Hunter-gatherer society mm-hmm. was, and the dog were pals long before agriculture ever came along. But about the time of the agricultural revolution, which is, and get this, check this out. Yeah. Uh, 10,500 years BP to about 4,500 years BP. 
No, what's BP? Before present. <laughs> Is that the new one? Yeah. That's like the scientific way of saying it. There's yeah. no like zero year or anything like that. Uh-huh. It's just 10,500 years before present. Before present. Before present. Not British. That was New Zealand. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so uh, basically, at some point, about 10,500 years ago, what they think happened is the Earth's climate changed. Uh-huh. Um, maybe we killed off enough of the megafauna op- through overhunting yeah. or through climate change. They, they just went extinct. And um, about that time, some plants came around that we noticed we really liked. And maybe accidentally we started growing them, and then we figured out that we could just select these ones. And yeah. through a process of artificial and natural selection merged together, we got agriculture. And about that same time, we started to, to domesticate pigs, sheep, and, and cattle. Yeah. I think we're the big first three. And they still are the big three. Oh, yeah. Like those are the money domesticated animals, you know? Well, yeah, and like you said, it's tied to human uh, natural selection as well because if you are the tribe that has figured out how to keep cattle, then you're going to do better than your uh, neighboring tribe that right. hasn't yet. And so you are going to be more successful as a civilization. Yeah, you are. And you're going to conquer, like we talked about, and I think the royalty one. We talked a lot about um, tribes conquering other tribes yeah. through agriculture, through exporting agriculture. And um, as a result, Jared Diamond points out, 88% of humans alive today speak one of seven language families. And they come from two places in Eurasia, which were the first places for agriculture to take root. So basically, those tribes mm-hmm. were so effective because of agriculture. Yeah. Today, we still basically, the vast majority of speak one of seven language groups. Wow. That's crazy. Years, all these thousands of years later, that's how effective agriculture was it, asserting authority. We should do one on uh, agriculture, the birth of agriculture. I can't believe we haven't yet. Yeah. Let's do it. Agreed. So back to animals. <laughs> uh, here's a little breakdown of where <laughs> some of your favorite animals came from. So in Southeast Asia is where you uh, first got your goats, pig, pigs, sheep, and dogs. Southwest Asia. Yeah. Move on over to Central That's Asia. That's like uh, Mesopotamia. Okay. These were the... the, That's the birth of it all. Yes. Um, Central Asia, you're going to get your chickens and your two-humped uh, Bactrian. Is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, it looks like it. Camel. Central Asia. Yeah, and those camels were actually um, well-known for long hair, and they can survive in cold climates. Yes, and they're not just desert uh, dwellers, right? No. And apparently when they were domesticated, it created such a revolution that some societies stopped using the wheel. Because they're like, we don't need the wheel anymore. We got camels. Like the wheel left altogether and then came back. Yeah. When someone said, ah, cars are pretty cool too. Yeah. Actually, it was much sooner than that. Um, Arabia is where you have the Arabian camel with the single hump. (laughs) Um, China, they domesticated pigs and the water buffalo and dogs. Uh, move over to the Ukraine, and you've got the wild tarpon horses. Yeah, and that's uh, what most folks think were the original, um, the original, the OG, the original horse. Right. Even though I read the, about the small ones in Mongolia. The the yeah was Nuski or the <laughs> the Kowalski? Or, yeah, the Kowalski family. Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to look that up. And then uh, Egypt, you've got your donkeys, 
And then South America, you've got your llama and your alpaca. Uh, llama as a beast of burden and the alpaca for their soft wool. And the guinea pig for their meat. Ooh, really? Yeah. In South America? Yeah. The Andes. Uh, I don't want to eat a guinea pig. That's what they were bred for originally. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, and those were some of the earliest ones. And Jared Diamond, again, who I know I keep citing him, but man, this guy's great ideas. Is he live? Yeah. Oh, okay. So he's a, he's a modern man? Yeah. He's got a little beatnik pointy beard and everything. Really? And yeah. He's a good guy. Let's get in touch with him. Okay. Uh, attention, Jared Diamond. <laughs> yeah. Please contact us for reasons we'll figure out later. Yeah. Stuff podcast at How Stuff Works. Put in the subject line, I'm Jared Diamond. There you go. And now we're going to get 500 Fake crackpots. <laughs> It'll be Lou Bega <laughs> posing as Jared Diamond. Nice one. Um, so uh, Diamond pointed out that over the last thousand years, only one substantial uh, animal has been added to the list of domesticated animals. So basically, we were good at it to start, and we did everything we could. Basically, almost all animals that are going to be domesticated on Earth have been domesticated. Was it the hamster? Probably. It was the reindeer. Oh, the hamster wasn't until 1930, though. Yes, I know. And if you read that, that's technically a tamed animal. Oh, it's not domesticated? Not under the strictest definition, where it's like the animals are born... Uh, Gen- and they're genetically modified? They're comfortable around yeah. humans. They're born that way. With a, with a tamed animal, you're like inventing the wheel with each individual organism. Gotcha. With a, with a domesticated animal, you've taken a wild species and you've selected it enough so that when an animal is born, yeah. it's cool being around a human. Whereas like if you're around like um, a gerbil or a hamster yeah. baby, it's not going to be cool around you. It doesn't have, you know, thousands of years of genetic information telling gotcha. it that from birth it can be comfortable with you because you're going to give it some pellets to eat. Okay. Whereas a dog, a puppy will just automatically snuggle up with you. Right. But think about getting close to a wolf pup. It's going to be problematic. Eh. Let's go try right now. <laughs> Did you ever see that movie Never Cry Wolf? The uh, Disney movie from like the mid-80s that was no. so good? Uh-uh. It wasn't. Oh wait, yeah. it was live action. Ethan Hawke? No, it was way before his time. No, no, no. I totally know what you mean. I can picture the guy in my head. He like goes and lives with the wolf yeah, by himself. Yeah, I saw it. Man, it's a good movie. Yeah, he was in. Uh, I can't remember. He's in another movie. <laughs> so when when we did domesticate it, like I said, we we took a wild animal, uh, it underwent a process through artificial selection to where it just became something different. Yeah. And there's cer- certain traits that they're not quite sure how they happen, but they're clearly linked to the genes that lead to domestication, Mm -hmm. that take an animal and turn it from wild to tame to domesticated, um, that have outward signals and signs, like floppy ears. Yeah. Um, The only other animal in the wild that has floppy ears is the African elephant. Yeah. Every other animal in the wild has perky ears. Yeah. But it's almost like it's a signal like, okay, we're tame now. Our ears don't need to perk up. It totally is. Smaller brain size. Yep. They don't need to be as smart um, over the years if you're feeding, uh, as evidenced by my dumb dog, Buckley. Like I said, he wouldn't survive two days in the wild. Yeah. Um, My neighbor one time left his dog out all night by accident. Uh And I was going out to the car the next morning, and this big Rottweiler comes running over at me. And I was like, at first, I was like, oh, man. Yeah. And then I realized it was Carter, and uh, I went and banged on his door, and he finally woke up, and 
He's like, Carter's in here. I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> and he had come home from a, a long night and let him out and forgot to let him back in. <laughs> yeah. And little Carter just slept on the front porch. Oh. It was like the sweetest thing ever. But Carter survived, is my point. By sleeping on the front porch. By sleeping on the front porch <laughs> and, be, and like scratching on it, like, please let me in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, smaller brains, uh, curly hair, uh, yeah. sharp sense of sight and hearing. Um, well, it's lessened. Yeah, it's lessened because they don't need that stuff either. Right, they, because they're being cared for by humans. The humans are saying, you just get dumb. We're in charge now. Yeah. We'll, we'll teach you everything you need to know. Um, we got a lot of this data, this information from a... Jared Diamond? Very, no, <laughs> not even. A very famous study that went on for about 40 years um, by a uh, Russian geneticist named Dmitry Belayev. And uh, Belayev said, hey, I'm going to figure out how domestication actually works. And I'm going to take um, silver foxes and I'm going to compress the domestication process. And basically over the course of like 30 or 40 years, even after he died, his, um, his colleagues and, and um, interns and assistants carried on this experiment. So it's been going on for maybe 50 years. Oh, wow. And um, they've found that you can get predictable results from domesticating animals. And they've domesticated some silver foxes. Um, Their ears started getting floppy. Their skulls started to get smaller. They started to get curly hair. Some of them started to bark. um, And they were born comfortable around humans. Yeah, and here's the thing. Um, If you've seen, uh, there's a really cute video on the Internet about a a little fox getting his belly rubbed. It looks sort of like dogs. Yeah. But they are DNA evidence. They have pretty much proven that dogs are descended from the Asian gray wolf right. and have nothing to do with foxes. But um, that's just proof through this experiment that uh, taming and domesticating this animal can lead to these traits. Yeah, because a lot of people are like, how do you get a Pomeranian from a gray wolf yeah, or a seriously. pug from a gray wolf or something like that? Have you seen that picture of that pug who's, um, who is clearly messing around with a crawfish? No. And gets his tongue bit, and it's like in midair, and, you know, they have huge eyes that are bulging out anyway. He's trying to, like, have sex with the crawfish? No, no. Like, he was sniffing it, and oh. I guess the crawfish, like, grabbed onto his tongue, and now the crawfish is hanging onto his tongue, and gotcha. in midair as the pug's, like, squealing or whatever. It's hilarious. Anyway, um, they, they figured out that because of domestication, these traits change. And like I said before, with... You know, different kinds of dogs, you get different kinds of, well, different looking dogs that we've selected for over time. Yeah, and it, it didn't take that long, apparently. Um, apparently, with uh, canines specifically, selective breeding uh, can affect a species really rapidly. And um, there's been evidence of Pekingese dogs as far back as first century AD China. Mm-hmm. So um, they weren't wolves for long once we decided. And, you know, there's different theories on how that very first happened. Um, one of them, which I like, is that people found abandoned pups, and it's just a natural human instinct to see a little puppy and care for it. So they said, yeah. well, let me take this little wolf puppy because it needs a home. We should talk about the science of cute sometime. It's really interesting. Like yeah, why we find that, things cute. Uh, an email the other day. We'll, we'll have to do that one. Um, so, yeah, that's one of the theories. The other one is that... Um, Maybe some of the the more tame wolves would rummage around our garbage 
and uh, for food. And so if you were a more tame wolf, you were more likely to survive. And eventually that would evolve into a more dog-like species. Yeah, because you're, the human garbage pile was much more reliable source of food than, say, like whatever was growing in the wild. So exactly. they would be, that's natural selection basically through artificial means almost. Yeah. Um, but either way, they think that dogs descended from wolves or diverged from wolves as long as 100,000 years ago, but they didn't really start to undergo the drastic morphological changes until maybe 15,000 years ago. Yeah. Um, And again, all of this predates the advent of agriculture, so that means that hunter-gatherers and dogs were friends for a while, and they think that the reason that happened was because they figured out that a dog could go flush out some quarry, a hunter-gatherer could spear it, and then tear off a piece and give the dog some and eat some himself. And they had a symbiotic hunting relationship that was aces. Yeah, like we said earlier, mutually beneficial. It was great for the dog. They were fast and fierce and we were smart. And uh, because we already mentioned dogs are, are uh, innately want to follow a lead dog, an alpha dog. Yeah. It, just, it was kind of like the perfect relationship. And it has been ever since. Yeah, and one of the other cool um, things about the domestication of the dog is they, uh, in ancient Rome, apparently, women is where they had the first evidence of little lap doggies mm. uh, because they were supposedly cured stomach aches, which, of course, they didn't. But I think it just made someone feel better having a little dog curled sure. up on their lap. So how's your tummy feel now? So we selected them for that. So we selected them we, for that. We selected, um, oh, I don't know, sheepdogs to herd and terriers to catch rats and yeah you know that that explains all this variation in dog breeds yeah i saw a cool special on it the other day uh it was on i think it was on animal planet but it wasn't one of those just like look how cute everything is Mm -hmm. it was kind of like the science behind the history of these animals it was really cool gotcha so uh let's take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about cats and other stuff too right after this stuff you should know Okay, so cats don't follow an alpha male, which leads to a puzzle of how they could possibly have been domesticated. And if you talk to certain people, they may not have ever really been domesticated. Yeah, cats don't look different than uh, their their ancestors. Right, which means that it makes it tough to go back and compare modern cats to the cats in the fossil record and say, oh, they diverged X number of years ago or whatever. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about cats is when you look at a cat in the backyard, you know— crouch down to leap on the bird, it looks just like a big lion about to leap on the big bird. The thing is, they're pretty sure that cats did not diverge from big cats like lions. They think they they came instead from a couple of different wild cats, a European wild cat and an African wild cat. And both of those are still around today. And they think that that's what the cat's last common ancestors were. Yeah, if if you look at it, it looks like it. Yeah. Like if you look up the African wildcat, it looks like just a bigger version of a tabby. Yes. And they they don't know exactly when they were um, domesticated, but uh, there's evidence that as far back as um, 9,500 years ago, there's at least one grave site where a cat was clearly buried with a human, which indicates some sort of importance and um, familialness with a cat. Yeah, in ancient Egypt, uh, they love cats and dogs. Right. And I think cats were even, uh, had like a religious significance 
but or maybe both of them did. But because uh, Anubis, that was the dog, right? I don't remember. I just remember Horus was the hawk. Right. Right. But ancient Egyptians loved their dogs and cats. Or was Horus the dog? <laughs> I think Anubis was the dog. So, um, again, cats probably are not technically domesticated. <laughs> but um, Well, the reason why we, we took them in, though, is the same reason that some people still take them in now is because uh, they're good mousers. Right. That, and that's pretty much the explanation for uh, domestication in a lot of ways. Like, they, the animals were useful for work. That's right. Um, so uh, some of the other animals, very ancient domesticated animals that we domesticated for work. And I guess I should say it wasn't just for work. Probably initially we domesticated animals for a food supply, like their milk. Yeah. Um, things like cattle, cows. We domesticated them for milk, of course. Um, yeah, their ancient uh, ancestor it's now extinct called the Auroch. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that's what led to modern tame cattle apparently. Right. Um, oxen, we domesticated them for work, although there's milk from them. You can pretty much drink milk from anything. Yeah, and any mammal. I think was uh, you can milk anything. <laughs> right. Just a little, just a little milking. Um, <laughs> the ox, I think, was was even stronger than the cow, and they would pull uh, initially sledges, mm-hmm. like put a bunch of junk on that thing and pull it over here, and then eventually plows and, of course, wheeled wagons, and. Um, some say that we wouldn't have even gotten to where we were with the wheel if it hadn't been for things like ox. Yeah, because we would have had to pull it. Yeah, that's no good. <laughs> no. Um, sheep, we eventually figured out that we could breed them for their wool, although apparently there was a 5,000-year differential between the time we domesticated sheep and the time we started um, using wool. Clothing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Before the, 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 the loom or yeah. before they started weaving by hand. Yep. Uh, goats. Uh, goats are great because they'll eat anything, um, so they're super useful. Um, you can be on infertile, rocky land, and a goat is pretty happy. They're great climbers. Yeah. Uh, they eat them. Yeah, got meat, unfortunately. You can make cheese <laughs> out of their milk. Yeah. Um, did you know that cashmere comes from goats? Yeah, and I mohair. I did not know that. Yeah. Did not know that. Um, I think they're just good for looking at and thinking they're cute. Sure. That's one thing. Uh, pigs, of course, are descended, uh, domesticated from the wild boar, and um, pigs were domesticated mainly because they would eat uh, waste and trash, <laughs> and so they were handy to have around because they would eat our trash, and then we would eat them. Right. And you know, it's interesting. North America has a pretty fascinating history as far as domesticated animals go. With pigs in particular, the wild hogs in North America— uh-huh were not around. There are a couple of pig-like animals, but there's no true wild pigs in North America, or there weren't until the 16th century when DeSoto brought a bunch of domesticated pigs who wandered off, some of which wandered off, uh-huh. and became the wild hogs of the Americas. Well, that's the same thing happened to the horse. Exactly. They originally came over on the Bering Land Bridge and then went extinct, and then the Spanish brought them over, and they said, hey, I don't know why there aren't horses here already because this is pretty great. Yeah. The horses said that. And some of them went feral, and now you have the horses on Cumberland Island. Yeah, they're still wild, aren't they? Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Unless uh, they're faking it. No. <laughs> Cumberland Island is here in Georgia, for those of you that don't know. We're not talking about some uh, like South American country. No, Cumberland Island. Yeah, right here in the south. Right. 
Um, and you know what's cool is, and for me, this is the fact of the podcast. After the horse, the next step forward in speed transportation mm-hmm. was five thousand years later with the steam train. Yeah, that's like why we for still five thousand years. Yeah, horses were as fast as we could go, and uh, you know, tie up twelve of them to that stagecoach, and we'll be twelve horses strong. Yeah. But um, yeah, for five thousand years, it's just amazing. Yeah, and then finally they invented the steam engine, and the horses were like, "All right, fine, we'll go over here." <laughs> uh, but event, uh, apparently, at first they were used for their meat and their milk. Yeah, horse milk again, again, and then they were used as a mode of transportation. Um, donkeys also yeah. good for transporting, yeah, like, like we said, said in Egypt. Yeah, they came out of Egypt. Camels good for transporting. You got a couple of different kinds: the Bactrian and the Arabian camels. Um, and the, the, just using animals for transport and for work kind of allowed for not only the agricultural revolution to take hold, but for it to spread as well through trade routes and stuff that allowed humans to just move longer distances faster. So that was another big way that domestication changed humanity. It helped us spread like a plague over the face of the earth. (laughs) So we could ruin everything. Yeah. Uh, I guess we can talk about some other um, smaller livestock like chickens and roosters. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said earlier, this was, I think, maybe the second fact of the show is possibly domesticated for entertainment as cockfighters. Yeah. Which is sad. Yeah. Uh, turkeys, I didn't know this. They were the um, one of the few indigenous uh, North American domesticated animals. Yeah. Mesoamericans domesticated them. Who knew? I didn't know that either. Although, if that floats your boat, you should read 1493, because stuff like that comes up in oh, a lot. Man. I just need to read both those at some point. I can't believe you haven't. I know. Here's another one. Bees. We domesticated bees, I'm sure, through a very long and painful process. This is discussed in 1493 as well. Yeah. Um, but So we domesticated bees, and we used bees to help us with another domesticated organism, the almond tree. Oh, yeah? So that's another one. That's like sheepdogs herding sheep. Oh, yeah, yeah. But this is bees pollinating almonds. Yeah. Well, bees, we did a great episode on that. That's how we um, sweetened everything for many, many years and still do using honey. Yeah. But, I um, did last night. It's still delicious. In a, a cocktail? No, on a biscuit. Oh, nice. <laughs> a little honey on a biscuit? Yeah. Uh, did you make the biscuit yourself? Uh, Yumi did. Nice. From scratch? No. From the can? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those are good, though. Oh, yeah. You know what's real good? I've noticed is the um, the frozen ones in the bag, instead of the can. Uh, they uh, they rise a lot more like a traditional Southern biscuit to me. We wanted just like a oh, nasty yeah. buttery Pillsbury. like layer biscuit. You uh-huh. know, yeah, the flaky good. layers. Yeah, man, those are good. Yeah, and it's always fun to open the package too. And it's delicious with honey. Uh, but thanks to a man named L. L. Langstroth, he is the guy who really made beekeeping. Uh, there were a lot of people working with frames already, but he's the one, he's the first guy that made uh, removable and movable frames. Yeah. Which apparently bees will have a tendency to uh, tie their honeycombs into the wall of the box, let's say. Mm-hmm. And um, with those removable and movable frames, they weren't, uh, couldn't do that anymore. And uh, apparently that made it really easy to manage them. Yeah. So thanks to him in 1852. Smart guy. We could uh, domesticate those bees for their delicious honey. And so the, here's where it comes, um, kind of falls apart for me. Yeah. I could see saying bees 
are domesticated. Sure. They don't sting you. They're used to being around people. Yeah. Um, silkworms? Yeah. No. 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 Uh, rabbits? No. I no. would say that you can tame a rabbit, but for the most part, they're not domesticated. Okay. And then the same with hamsters, which I didn't realize that they were this recent. Yeah, from 1930. And uh, another fun fact is supposedly the entire population of domesticated, or I'm sorry, tamed hamsters uh, derives from that one hamster family. Yeah. Because they make so many little hamsters so quickly. Yep. So you take issue with silkworms, rabbits, and hamsters. I do. As tamed but not domesticated. Yes. Like the elephant. Just because Hannibal rides an elephant doesn't mean it's domesticated. It meant he had a tamed elephant to ride. And Chuck, just before we wrap up, I mentioned that uh, humans in turn have been domesticated by agriculture. Yeah. And we have. Like we've undergone a lot of the same changes that domesticated animals undergo when we domesticate them. Like our reproductive period has increased. Yeah. Because... We don't have to carry a kid like 10 kilometers every day because we're not hunter-gatherers, so we can have more kids. Yeah, just get on the horse and ride all over town. Exactly. Um, And one of the other ways that we've changed, in addition to some of us becoming lactose-tolerant into adulthood, is we've become um, ravaged by and also uh, immune to a lot of diseases, a lot of epidemic diseases, which couldn't have ever existed prior to the advent of agriculture for two reasons. One, it needs a dense human population that agriculture supports Mm -hmm. for it to be spread around and contracted and and to really gain steam. Yeah. And then secondly, it also requires a lot of repeated close proximity to animals. And it turns out that all of our epidemic diseases come from the agricultural revolution and are hanging out with livestock a lot. Yeah. Like, um, for example... Um, influenza came from pigs and ducks. Yeah. Um, measles and tuberculosis came from cattle. Yeah. Possibly smallpox came from cattle, if not camels. Yeah. And then get this, the very fact that all of these, almost all of these worst epidemic diseases have their origins in Eurasia Mm -hmm. mean that that's because our domestication took place in Eurasia, which means that the people of Eurasia were able to develop resistance and immunity over the generations to these diseases. So they don't get these diseases as much? No. And when we came over, that's what wiped out the North American New World populations because they didn't have any resistance to these diseases. So you can really make a case that agriculture changed everything more than anything else ever has. Wow. So that's that. You got anything else? I got nothing else. Man, you need to read 1491 1493. I'll do that tonight. Okay. (laughs) If you want to know more about animal domestication, you can type those two seemingly boring but rather fascinating uh, words into the search bar, HowStuffWorks.com, and that will bring up this article. And then since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this Nielsen family. We heard from quite a few uh, got quite a few people that showed pictures of their little like two and three dollar packets. Yeah, it's kind of neat. I don't think it's even five dollars anymore. I think a couple of people just got two dollars. Apparently, they give you two to sweeten the pot, and then once you do it, you get more. Huh. That's what I think. That's, All right. that's what somebody I think said. Well, this is from a real deal Nielsen family that got paid, and they're from Atlanta, from Grant Park. Um, apparently, our address was picked at random uh, by their computer program, and they sent out a representative with a gift set of ugly tumblers to convince us to participate. 
Uh, we agreed because they pay you about $200 every six months if you let them track your TV and computer usage. Uh, Rob, who was the uh, representative, came by and installed the TV box and computer program and would check in on us in person every six months and ask a set of questions about our life and purchasing habits. Uh, they always asked about table wine, which I thought was interesting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Every time we turned on our TV, they would have loved me because I would just be drunk on table wine the whole time. <laughs> uh, every time we turned on the TV or opened up our laptop, we had to press a button about who was watching uh, and using the computer. It wasn't that hard, but it became annoying after a couple of years, so we were happy when our contract ended. Apparently, they were really excited to have us as a part of their program because uh, we were what they call a Grand Slam family, which means we were young, under 30, uh, with over-the-air TV, no cable, like uh-huh. antenna. All right. Uh, and we owned a Mac. So that's a Grand Slam, apparently. <laughs> uh, it seems Clears the basis. Yeah, I guess so. It seems like uh, we were a pretty rare find in the world, in their world, so rare that when our two-year uh, participation ran out, they had off- offered us a year-long extension. We also got a bonus payment for being a minority household, which is hilarious because both of us are white as can be, but my husband is half Cuban. <laughs> so uh, that is from Laura and Chris right here in Atlanta. Nice. Laura and Chris Nielsen. <laughs> yeah, they're the Nielsen family. No cable, under 30 Mac users. The Grand Slam. The Grand Slam. If you are a Grand Slam family of some weird sort, we want to hear from you. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com and check out our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.